All right, my friend, and welcome once again to another episode here of the Red Delta Project podcast and live feed Q&A here on the RDP YouTube channel. We're helping you escape the diet and exercise rat race through fundamental approaches to fitness based on the fundamental principles of mother and human nature. I'm Matt Shifley, as always. Today's episode is sponsored by the RDP merch store. Got a whole lot of new items here. This is my brand new RDP hoodie that we have here with the new RDP style branding to it. We also, have, of course, have the progressive calisthenics by Coach Wade or Paul Wade t-shirts as well, as well as the generic RDP t-shirts and stuff. I know some of you were looking at where do we find some of these shirts that I wear in my videos and stuff. Link is down below for that. So today's episode, I'm titling 10 Essential Keys to Total Body Transformation. It doesn't need to necessarily be total body transformation if you're just looking to change a couple of things like I want to lose weight or so build bigger arms and stuff. These things still apply. And I'm mentioning them here because I find them sorely lacking in every instance where someone is like, you know, I'm doing quote, everything right. I'm putting in so much work and so much effort, and yet the changes are coming far too slowly or at all in general. And so these 10 things are the things that I've noticed are lacking in these instances. And I'm not saying you have to have every single one of them, but if you're lacking most of them, good luck. And it doesn't necessarily matter you know, what kind of approach you're using. If you're missing a lot of these things, it's gonna be very hard to achieve your goals in 2024. And not only that, to maintain your goals, because always remember that objectives that are a struggle to achieve will be a struggle to maintain. I don't know about you, but I got into this fitness game because I wanted to keep the results that I was trying to achieve. I wasn't interested in becoming one of those people who was like, oh yeah, look at this picture of when I was in great shape five years ago. Those were the glory days as I'm nursing a beer at a bar talking about how great in shape I was. No, I want to be fit for life. I want to be that 70-year-old, 75-year-old, hell, let's shoot for the moon and say 90-year-old who's doing pull-ups at the park and all the young bucks are looking at me going like, how in the world is this dude like 90 years old and he's still crushing it? These are some of the keys in making that happen. And as always, I'll be answering your questions in the comment section as well, but let's jump right into it here. So the first and foremost thing that I find most people are lacking when they're trying to make any meaningful change in their physique, their fitness, and this goes for a lot of things, relationship success, financial success, business success, is basically a holistic approach, or as I like to call it, more of a multi-influential approach. And the reason for this is simple, is because there are so many messages in our fitness culture that try to pigeonhole you into a very narrow perspective on what you need to do in order to achieve success. Oh, you want to build muscle? Oh, you got to lift heavy. Oh, you want to lose weight? You got to avoid processed foods or sugar oh, or intermittent fasting. Oh, you want to be healthier? Okay, then you need to take cold showers and make sure that you're uh, eating uh, like 50 grams of protein at each meal or something, right? And this advice may not be bad, but no matter what advice you follow, it's inevitably going to be extremely limiting. Because remember, your results do not depend on pers- uh, exclusively on what diet you follow. They don't depend on your workout program. It's not whether or not you're doing high volume or low volume. It's not whether or not you're doing vegan or carnivore. Your results don't come from whether or not you're taking cold showers or you live like <laughs> you're in Denver where it's like zero degrees out right now. Instead, we recognize through a holistic or fundamental approach to fitness that the fundamental processes of mother and human nature that are actually in control of your fitness are always going. And all you can do is influence the speed or the rate at which those processes are occurring. You can't control them. You can't control your fitness. You can't control your weight. You can't control how much muscle you have. Mother nature is in control. Your very basic human nature is in control of your behaviors. You're not fully fundamentally in control. And that's very important to understand because a lot of scams or just flat out lies out there in our fitness culture will tell you otherwise. They'll say, oh, you'll have control over your weight if you cut out the sugar. You'll have control over your health if you get eight hours of sleep a night. You'll have control over how your body looks if you do this high volume training. 
And that's, again, not to say that these things can't have an influence on these processes, but control, not even close, not even close, because there's always influences to your results that you have zero control over. I can't control my age. I can't control my genetics. There are a lot of influences that you can control to some degree, but it's not really going to happen very well. Like I live here in Denver, but I'm not going to move to Maui you know, anytime soon. And if I want to learn how to surf, well, that's something I can do, but it's not likely to happen. And then of course, there are influences that we do have a lot more control over. Like what kind of food do I bring home from the grocery store? That I got more control over. And the fact is when you have a very narrow approach, you're having a very limited influence on those holistic processes. And as a result, you have to maximize whatever that strategy is, like limiting sugar, or, you know, lifting as heavy as possible or whatever the case may be, in order to get as much out of it as you can. So you have to put in as much work as possible, and you're always going to be severely limited. Now, a holistic or multi-influential approach is very different. That's an approach where you say, okay, I want to build muscle and shape my body. Good. I'm going to lift some heavy resistance training. Good. What else? I'm going to make sure I'm getting plenty of sleep each night. Good. What else? Well, I'm going to make sure that my diet is full of wholesome, nutritious foods, and I'm going to make sure I'm eating enough to satisfy my appetites. Good. What else? Well, I'm going to really start to think about how I'm programming my workouts to make sure they're balanced and very holistic in nature. I'm not just doing chest and buys. Good. What else? All right. So see what we're doing? All of these things have a very limited influence on the process. There's nothing you can do that's going to make a very big difference unless it's going to be very, very hard and take up a lot of resources. But when you have a lot of these influences stack up, collectively, they have a much bigger influence on the holistic fundamental processes of mother human nature, which means you get much better results. But because every influence and habit that you're stacking on is relatively easy to maintain, the results are relatively easy to maintain as well. So always be thinking in your mind, what is your approach? And then no matter what the answer is, think I'm going to do X. Good. What else? What else? What else? What else? And remember, you don't have to maximize or optimize anything to get really great results. I'm going to cut back on sugar. Good. Do you have to get rid of sugar? Absolutely not. Do you have to eliminate processed foods? Absolutely not. Do you have to intermittent fast like on a very strict schedule? Absolutely not. But if you did a little bit of these things, just a little more than what you do now, that collectively adds up to much bigger results that are a lot easier to maintain. So number one there, a holistic approach, a multi-influential approach. Let's get to some of these questions here that are streaming on in. It's always good to see everybody. Let me make sure I can read. I got my reading glasses on here. Let's see. Vin saying... Uh, asking, have I tried the new Kinsui Nanobars V2 instead of your take on the new handles? Yeah, the I, I mean, I haven't tried them, so my opinion is just a guess. So take it for what it's worth, which isn't much. Uh, but I, I'm curious about the locking handles, you know, because I've, you know, I've always preferred handles like on my NOS trainer that rotate. Never have I ever been doing dips or push-ups or anything and thought to myself, I wish these were locked in place more solid, like a gymnastics ring. Now, I think that might be more of just a personal preference, but uh, the fact that they can lock uh, it may be something that some people like, but I would never want a handle that can potentially lock. I always want it moving. And then some people are like, well, it's going to rotate on you. And it's like, so you build stronger wrists. You know, it's like back in the day when we were mountain biking and we had these things called grip shifts where you twisted part of the handle, usually the stuff, the part of the grip that was under these two fingers to shift your gears. And people would always be like, oh, I can't stand those things. Like you would, you would change gears by accident. And I'm like, you just don't twist your hand. How hard is that? Like, it's not hard not, not to do this, right? When you're riding a mountain bike, same thing when you're doing push-ups and dips and things like that. It's like, you just don't do this. And it's that simple. So I, I like uh, the idea of it. I like the Ingenuity. Kinsui is one of my favorite brands. I think they've got some of the best accessories and equipment out there, but I haven't used those bars yet, and uh, I'm not really chomping at the bit to do so either. But who knows? They may reach out to me, and I may change my tune if I ever get my hands on them. 
Christopher is saying, hey, Matt, what is the worst injury that you ever had to deal with? How do you recover from it? <laughs> this podcast is not nearly long enough for that, my friend. <laughs> so uh, let's, let's talk about acute versus chronic. So I've got tons of chronic injuries throughout my career. My lower back, my left hip, my knees were shot to hell for a good 20 some odd years. Uh, my left shoulder from taiko drumming, my right shoulder used to be in really bad shape for very long. These were all just chronic injuries from misalignment in my body that just built up. When you have forces going through your body from training that are out of a site alignment, that's when you get the tendinosis and the things in your elbows and your shoulders and uh, weaknesses and stuff like that. So I've long had to deal with that. And basically what I had to do in order to overcome these was basically seek out expertise, chiropractic help, coaches, uh, basically individuals who were uh, more well-versed in the alignment of the body for force to be going through the body in a holistic and very um, uh, safe way. And then when I learned, oh, I've got a slightly elevated scapula. Okay, I got to fix that down. That's how I did it. Because a lot of times those sorts of chronic injuries are the result of, like I said, a misalignment of force. And until you fix that misalignment, it's just always going to keep happening over and over and over again until you figure out why you have that misalignment. And then once that misalignment gets taken care of, it heals a lot faster and you never have to worry about it ever again. So I would, that would be my answer for that. As far as acute injury, when I was, I think I was 14, 13, 14 at the time I had a bike accident. I scraped the right side of my face off on the sidewalk. That hurt like hell. <laughs> that was not a fun process. Zaid saying, hey, Matt, what are rest days? Are rest days important if you feel like you can still go every day? If you created an, enough of a stimulus, would it be advisable to take rest if you have hit every uh, part once? Yeah, remember, technically, there's no such thing as a rest day. Your body is always being stimulated to adapt in some way. Even sitting on the couch is creating a stimulus to adapt to sitting on a couch. You're always getting receiving a stimulus. You're always adapting to whatever you expose your body to. So fundamentally, there's no like timeout that you can never hit on your body. And always remember too, that you don't need to recover from exercise. You need to recover from fatigue and stress. And that fatigue and stress can come from other sources too, like stress at work, stressful lifestyle. Like if you've got a lot that you're doing that's impacting your body. It's, it's funny, back in the day, I used to think, okay, I'm going to do a workout. So therefore I need to eat beforehand and I need to have plenty of sleep and I need to like prepare my body for this workout, which would be like an hour of Taekwondo class, which fundamentally really wasn't all that hard on the body. And yet at the same time, that particular summer, I had my first ever like real job working at a Volvo dealership washing cars. And it was nine hours a day in the heat, crouching down, moving my body all over the place. It kicked my butt every single day. But because it wasn't a quote workout, I didn't think you should be eating a lot more. You should be making sure you're getting plenty of sleep. You should be kind of taking it easy on your body on the weekends because you're basically working out nine hours every day. No, it, I didn't have that label of a workout, so I didn't think I needed to rest from it. So always base it on that. How much rest do you need based on the stress and the recovery you need from life itself? You don't need to recover from workouts. Forget about the workouts. Recover from life. If you are tired, if you are run down, if your body is achy and stiff and fatigued, then rest. But it, dude, if you can go, if you can crush a workout, who cares if you work like five hours or five straight days in a row? Go, get it. Go for it. If you could do it, go, go. I think Dan John, the legendary strength coach, basically said as, so much. I was like, dude, if you can go, go. You don't worry about needing to recover from a workout. You don't need to recover from workouts. You recover from stress and fatigue. And there's so many variables that influence whether or not that's actually there or not, even outside of your workouts. Leonis, it's good to see you, my friend, saying, hey, Matt, any tips on body weight or GSA shoulder work? Also interested in what your training approach is on that. Yeah, basically handstand work, uh, pike push-ups. Pike push-ups don't get nearly enough love. It's kind of like rows versus uh, pull-ups. So much out there is people are like, got to do the handstands, got to do the handstands, got to be inverted, got to get the full body weight on the arms. When in reality, most people don't have the strength, stability, coordination to really adequately work their shoulders inverted into a handstand. 
And so pike push-ups or you know, deficit push-ups, if your hands are slightly elevated and stuff, those are fantastic for that sort of thing. So those are my go-to right there is anything where you're able to move through a decent range of motion here, you know, very basic vertical pushing exercise is the way to go for that. Ben is coming on saying, hey Matt, how do I know that I set the right stimulus for my goal? Is it something I'll figure out in time or feel it right at the moment? Oh, you'll feel it right in the moment. Okay, so here's the thing though. You're, you're very smart. You're, you've got the right mindset because this is the old adage of like, well, how do I know if my workout's effective? Well, you have to know what objective you have. What kind of stimulus are you trying to create? Are you trying to burn off energy? Are you trying to improve your proficiency? Or are you trying to work your neuromuscular work capacity? Those are the three fundamental objectives that I cover in my latest book, Be Fit, Live Free. And if you don't know what objective you're going after, your workouts are always going to be a random patchwork of guessing games because you don't know what you're trying to do in your workouts. Are you trying to burn off energy, either mental, emotional, stressful energy, calories, that sort of thing? Are you trying to work your neuromuscular capacity, which is usually strength training, time and tension? Or are you trying to improve your proficiency? How good are you doing the thing? Right? Improving your jump shot, improving your stability in your handstands, being able to stabilize better, like just do the thing better. And basically it should be pretty obvious. You know, it, you can, you're always achieving all three, no matter what you do. I mean, me standing on one leg right now is achieving all three. I'm burning calories and energy. I'm improving my ability to stabilize in my hip. And I'm working the neuromuscular work capacity of my, particularly my hip flexors, the leg I'm lifting. You're always achieving all three. The only question is how much? The only question is to what degree you're doing that. If I go out for a bike ride for five hours, I know I burned a crap ton of energy. Okay. I don't need a fitness tracker to know. I don't need to like contemplate that one. I know I burned a lot of calories. How much? I don't know. It's a crap ton. That's all that matters, right? If I'm like doing uh, free sparring, like the other day we started free sparring again, Taekwondo, a lot of energy expended on that and just felt kind of noodly afterwards. How much? Again, I don't know. I don't care. It was a lot. It was very obvious. Same thing with neuromuscular work capacity. Doing pull-ups, Really heavy? Yeah, real obvious. A lot of tension in the muscle. Doing them until the point where I've got a really good pump going on and I'm working on how much I'm pushing you know, my endurance? Yeah, real obvious again. So that's why I'm, what I'm basically saying is your ability to achieve a stimulus is you're always achieving. It's just how much. And if you achieve it to a good degree, it should better well be obvious. And then, of course, proficiency. Get up on those pull-ups, right? I've been getting my right shoulder more stable. So I was doing pull-ups before this episode. I'm like, wow, these feel really good in my back. And they don't feel anything in my joints. That's definitely a lot better. Proficiency, check, done, improved, right? Improving, getting an effective workout should be like getting hit in the shins with a two-by-four. Pretty damn obvious. <laughs> Pretty darn obvious for that sort of thing. And if you're questioning it, well, maybe that's a sign that you need to kind of pursue that objective a little bit more. Okay, let's get into the next two things, some uh, essential things for total body transformation. We talked about a multi-influential or a holistic approach, number one. Number two, motivation. Okay, forget what the experts and the gurus on the social medias are talking about motivation versus discipline and all that sort of thing. You will never, ever, ever find someone who's disciplined who lacks motivation. You always have to have motivation before discipline. Again, covered this in an entire chapter in my book of um, uh, called Be Fit and Live Free. Motivation is essential. Without it, you're absolutely boned. Why? Because we humans are fundamentally emotional creatures. I don't care what you learn. I don't care what you know. I don't care what your uh, you know, coach is telling you or anything like that. The bottom line is your actions that you're going to take on a daily basis that's going to lead up into a significant change depend very much on your emotional motivational state. If you don't have that emotional drive, aka motivation, you are absolutely screwed. There is not a chance in hell you're going to have the consistent worthwhile actions that's going to achieve what you want. And even if you do, it's not going to last very long. So you have to have that motivation. It is absolutely essential. Someone who is lacking motivation, because I mean, motivation, people are like, well, motivation doesn't last. Yeah, neither does your energy level, okay? It's always ebbing and flowing and going up and down, but it should be consistently high enough 
for you to relative take action on a consistent basis with relative ease. If your energy level is always really, really low, you would consider that a health problem. You'd be like, I got to go to the doctor. I got to get tested. Something's wrong here. I'm always exhausted. I'm always tired. I got, I got to address this sort of thing. It's the same exact thing with motivation. If you're constantly, chronically unmotivated to do the things you need to do, you got to treat that like, like an injury. You got to treat that as something that's very wrong because you can't get very far without that motivation. That's why I devoted an entire chapter to it in Be Fit and Live Free. So very basically, I mean, just to not to put too much of a point on it, I got tons of videos on the channel that dive into this. Motivation largely comes down to cost to benefit ratio for humans. What's the payoff versus what are you investing? When the payoff is high and the investment is low, you'll be motivated to do it. If the payoff is low and the investment is high, I'm talking time, energy, effort, money, that sort of thing, then the motivation will be low because your emotional subconscious is literally screaming at you to not do that because it's not worth it. You're better off doing something else. You should be listening to that. When you have a chronic loss of motivation, you should be listening. Don't be you know, stubborn headed and be like, I'm just going to force myself through it. No, don't do that. That's stupid. That's like having a broken leg and insisting that you still run a mile every day. It's no different. A chronic deprivation of motivation is a sign that you need to change something because you should consistently have a fairly decent high level of motivation. Yeah, sure. Sometimes it comes up and down and things like that, but on the whole, it should be relatively high. And if it's not, you got to take some serious action about that because that means something's definitely wrong. Okay, number three in essential things for total body transformation, adaptation, change, flexibility, the ability to modify the things that you're doing. Whenever people have trouble sticking to a plan, inevitably, a lot of times it's because things are too rigid for them. They're, they're sticking to this very high maintenance diet or this workout program that it requires a lot of time and energy and effort and stuff. And life just inevitably changes on them and their habits are fighting that change. And so an inability to adapt to those changes, even on a regular daily basis, usually means, again, you're going to put in twice the effort. You're not going to get nearly as much out of it. And you probably should be better off doing something else. And not being able to adapt to your circumstances is highly detrimental. But whenever you see folks who've lost a lot of weight, built a good amount of muscle, or you know, changed their financial situation, whatever, and they've kept those results, you'll inevitably find someone who has a lot of adaptation, where they're like, well, sometimes I do this workout, sometimes I do it this way, and sometimes I do that, and sometimes my diet looks like this, and sometimes my diet looks like this, and uh, you know, a couple of weeks a year, I sometimes will do this. They're always changing. They're always in a state of flux. They're never totally rigid about what they do. They'll have a general framework about what they do, absolutely, but they're never so rigid that when they don't have time and energy and motivation and all these things happen that they're like, oh, there's nothing I can do, and they stop taking action. No, they work with what they've got. They're like, well, you know, I'm just exhausted and my boss is asking me for all kinds of overtime. I don't have much time and energy, so I'm going to change my workouts to fit what time and energy I do have. They're not concerned about doing it right. They're concerned with what do I do to keep moving the ball forward? And adaptation allows you to do that. More questions here. Eva is saying, hey, Matt, I started to incorporate sissy squats. Fantastic. My favorite exercise for the legs. Love it. I need to hold onto a bar for stability. I feel uh, a push quite a bit on the bar. Any advice? Thanks for all that you do. You're the best. Well, I know that. Thank you very much. <laughs> Appreciate that very much, Ava. Yeah, I almost always recommend having some upper body support for most progressive calisthenics techniques for the sake of stability. That way, the exercise can be more of a strength and muscle building exercise rather than a, quote, skill or stability exercise. And so what I usually do with the sissy squat is I'll use a couple of different uh, approaches. One is the suspension sissy squat, which is a technique I do believe I've invented. You can check it out on the RDP YouTube channel. If you just search in suspension sissy squat, it allows you to use suspension straps in a very adjustable way. That's not going to have too much upper body support. Another thing that works really well is use a vertical support, like a post 
or something as you're doing it. And just one hand. That way you've got a little bit of stability by holding on to things, but you're not putting too much weight on it. And remember that progressive calisthenics is about basically shifting weight throughout the body. And if you're pushing more into the hand, that means you just have less weight on your feet and more weight on your hands, which isn't a bad thing. You're just making the exercise easier. You're lifting lighter weight, fundamentally speaking. So what I recommend doing is think of driving the balls of your feet straight down into the floor. If you focus on that, that's going to make sure that your nervous system is driving more with your feet rather than pushing with your hands. So all of that together should help you there. Best of luck with your sissy squats and enjoy them. God, I love that exercise. Nothing hits the quads like the sissy squat. Casper, oh, it's good to see you again, my friend. Hey, Matt, I recently started consistently lifting weights. I'm getting stronger and bigger, but I want to lose body fat as well. Is that possible or is that a goal contradictory? No, not at all. So we're talking about body transformation here. And remember that fundamentally muscle and fat are built for fundamentally different reasons. A muscle is built because you're exposing it to a stimulus, a progressive stimulus, basically trying to make the muscle work harder over time and then recovering and allowing it to adapt to that stimulus. Body fat is about your caloric energy balance. Now, of course, caloric energy balance is an influence to your ability to create a stimulus and recover. And your training for, uh, in this case, weightlifting, is an influence to your caloric balance. So it's not like they don't have anything to do with each other. They do have some cross-pollination, I guess you could call it. But remember that fat is built for different reasons. Okay? You do not have the same thing going. They do not contradict each other. Yes, there is a lot of science out there. There's a great article on Stronger by Science saying that the more of a caloric deficit you have, the harder it's going to be build muscle. However, that same exact article also does say and does show that people in a caloric deficit were able to build muscle. Not as quickly, but they were able to do it. So here's usually what I recommend for folks in, in your case. If you want to build muscle and lose fat at the same time is focus on building the muscle first and foremost. Okay. So that means kill your workouts. You know, I mean, crush them, you know, get them really done hard, you know, because that's good. That's going to burn a lot of calories to some degree, both in the recovery and in the actual workout. Eat to satisfy, as we always say here. So eat good food, focus on getting food that's going to help with recovery. So protein sources, complex carbohydrates, and so forth, and go after the luxury calories. Go out. These are the things that you're eating that don't really do a whole lot to help build your body up. This is the, quote, junk food. But more importantly, a lot of the foods that we eat for the sake of novelty, the popcorn in the movie theater, the liquid calories that we consume at happy hour, beverages, sodas, that sort of thing. Stop eating when you're satisfied. Don't keep eating until you're, you're full and that sort of thing. If you can um, remove a lot of the luxury calories from your diet, then you probably are going to be in the general ballpark of being able to lose body fat. And then if you're struggling to lose body fat, then just cut back a little bit on what you're eating there. And that's, that's what I recommend uh, right there. Frederico, one more before we get back to this week's topic saying, hey, Matt, how do you deal with strength plateaus physically, emotionally, and mentally? Well, first off, remember that plateaus are a natural part of strength training. They're supposed to happen. Uh, in fact, in many cases, I tell people to stay in a plateau. Like even if you can get out of the plateau, don't. These are what I call my freeze workouts. And the reason for this is very simple. And I guess bottom, uh, let, me, let me restart a little bit. So physically, mentally, and emotionally, when we're in a plateau, that means our body needs to get more used to what we're doing. Our mind needs to get more used to what you're doing. You need to get comfortable with what you're doing. So the analogy I always use is when you're going up high altitude hiking, climbing like Mount Everest, you don't just go up that bastard in one shot, right? You go up to base camp and you stop climbing. You purposely plateau your hike or your climb rather. It's not like a day hike going up, you know, K2, uh, but you purposely stop reaching higher altitudes to allow your body to acclimatize to the altitude. And I didn't learn this until like several months ago, but when you climb Everest, you don't even stop. You go back down several times. You go from one base camp down to another one. 
and then back up again. So when you're climbing Everest, you don't only go up and stop, you regress in order to get your body acclimated to the environment. The exact same thing happens with your training. You're supposed to go up so far and then stop improving. You're supposed to stop because your body needs to acclimate to it. Your mind needs to, your emotions need to acclimate. You got to get used to what you're doing. And yes, sometimes you do need to go backwards in quotes, go with a lighter weight so you can improve your range of motion, go with uh, less repetition. So you're not burning yourself out. One of the most important lessons I ever learned from a really high level strength coach is he said, the more you keep pushing your limits, the more you keep reinforcing the things that are limiting you. So if you're lifting as heavy as possible, let's say weighted pull-ups, for example, and your scaps are elevating and rounding forward like crazy, the more weight you're trying to lift, the more you're reinforcing that poor technique. And it's more going to hold you back. If you are, how many push-ups can I do in one set? And you're just blasting out as much as you can and your shoulders are hunched up and your elbows are winging out like crazy and your back is sagging and you're doing the, the worm and everything like that. The more you keep trying to do a bazillion push-ups with that form, the more you're reinforcing that form. So I'll say it again. The more you keep trying to push your very limits, the more you reinforce the things that are going to be limiting you. So don't be afraid to hold your ground. I do the, That's a freeze workout. I don't want you lifting any more weight. I can only do 10 pull-ups. Good. I don't want you doing any more than 10 pull-ups for the next three months. I don't care if you're having a good day and can get 12. You're staying at 10. Why? Because this forces you to improve your proficiency of how well you can do the technique within the reps you're doing. Well, now if I'm doing only doing 10, I can get my chest all the way to the bar. Now I can pack my shoulders back a little bit more. If I'm lifting lighter, I can use a full range of motion. Good. Yes, you're improving your proficiency. You're getting better at doing the actual exercise, which will make you feel better. It will make you think better about it, and it will make your body uh, adapt to it a lot better. And then once you feel like you've gotten a lot more acclimated and you're really chomping at the bit and you're like, for the love of God, I just want to do more reps or I want to hit with more weight and stuff, then you go. Then you put on more weight and you're probably going to progress a hell of a lot faster that way. Okay, so we covered number one was a holistic multi-influential approach. Number two was motivation. Number three was an adaption approach or a flexible approach so you can adapt to your circumstances. Number four on things that are essential for total body transformation is self-awareness. It's the old adage, know thyself, right? Lots of times when people are trying to make something happen, but they keep engaging in habits that hold them back. I used to know this one gal who was friends with, and she was always trying to better not just her body, but her life. And every weekend she would go out and just get absolutely blitzed at a bar. She never had money. She was always struggling with her health and everything. And I was like, you know, these weekend benders that you keep going on, you know, they're not helping you and everything. She's like, I know, I know, I know. But the thing is, she didn't have enough self-awareness, either A, to recognize the pattern was happening, Probably she did. And two, why it was happening. Okay. Ultimately, personal transformation is an investigation within ourselves. You're not going to get the real answers you need from YouTube or the internet or social media or something. We must go inwards, my friends. We must investigate and say, okay, I can't seem to get to bed on time. I'm always scrolling on social media or I'm too addicted to late night TV or whatever. Why? Why is this happening to you? Don't judge. Don't be like, I don't know. I'm just weak. I can't do this. And so, no, really like treat it like a puzzle. It's a problem solving thing. And the only way you're going to figure this out is if you investigate inwards within. I've been doing a lot of that myself this year. I've been struggling with an emotional challenge for the, a little over a year now. And I'm still working on it. I'm like, why am I doing this? It doesn't make any sense. And it may not be something that you can always figure out, but I've learned a hell of a lot about myself. I've learned a lot about how I treat myself around people and react to people's reaction to me and things. And even if I never figure it out, I'm a better, stronger individual for it. I've grown a lot over the past year. So self-awareness, self-knowledge, essential for total transformation. Because ultimately, if you want your outside to change, your inside has to change a lot. That's why I always say, 
personal change is really, really hard. Why? It's terminal. <laughs> you as a person are not going to survive the process. You know, the match Schifferly I am right now is not going to survive the next year because I'm going to change in some way. I'm going to be a different Matt Schifferly. You yourself, as you know and see yourself, is inevitably going to have to transform. Like Butterflies kill caterpillars because of that metamorphosis. If you really want a big change to happen, the self you are right now has got to go bye-bye into the new self. And the self-awareness is key to making that happen. But if we just turn blinders on, we're always numbing ourselves emotionally and physically, mentally and emotion. And uh, I said emotionally already, but distracting ourselves with drugs, alcohol, entertainment, food, vices like this. When we keep hiding from ourselves, transformation will never happen. It's simply not going to be uh, something that you can uh, make happen. All right. Master Dave is saying, Matt, any tips for elbow pain during dips? Uh, well, if your elbows don't hurt, I recommend taking a hammer to them and then they'll probably hurt. I know it's a stupid joke. Uh, but um, so remember, pain is Mother Nature's way of telling us we're screwing something up. So look at your technique. Look at your alignment. Is your back really engaged? Are your elbows winging out a whole lot? Maybe you're on dip bars that are a little too wide, uh, but it could have nothing to do with the dips. You could have, you know, bang your elbow against a table sometime or have some other habitual thing that you're doing. And that's now created a problem and it's just getting exposed by the dips. Bottom line is don't do things that hurt. So if dips hurt your elbow, don't do dips. Use other progressive uh, pushing techniques, push-ups, that sort of thing. Make sure your shoulders are packed down and back. You want to make sure the dip is fundamentally a back exercise as well as anything else. That's where your support for that comes along. You may just need to heal your elbows. It could be an acute injury. Something weird might have happened in one set a while ago and now you're just keep irritating that issue. So let it heal and then come back and make sure that your shoulders are packed down and tight. Lou Ray is saying, hey Matt, I find when I train boxing, it's the twisting rotation that seems to fatigue me where I feel the most unstable. Any suggestions on exercise might help improve my proficiency in that. Look at your hips, my friend. Look at where your stability is in your hips because a lot of our full body stability is hip work is flexors, adductors, adductors, glutes, that sort of thing. And if you don't have good hip stability, everything that you're doing on your feet is just going to take a hell of a lot more energy. Not just the rotation, but the shuffling, the moving, the power, all of that sort of thing is going to just eat a lot more energy because the less stable you are, the more energy you have to spend to do everything. So recommend the hip bridges, uh, the isometric ad abduction, you just stand and squeeze your hips together and then pulling apart sort of thing. You can find just hip work uh, on the RDP YouTube channel, but I recommend stabilizing and strengthening your hips. I think that's where you're going to find the most improvement with that sort of thing. All right. Now the things from and essentials for total body transformation, we covered self-awareness. Last one, number, what is this? Five, I believe, is get help from other people. Bottom line is you're not going to be able to do this one on your own, uh, especially big changes, because you, my friend, are trying to walk a very hard path. Change in your body, change in your life and to any degree. It's just really hard. And it's always going to be easier with other people. So find coaches, find mentors. Hell, just find a friend. But preferably find someone who's done the thing before you. In Japanese, the word for teacher is sensei, which means previously in life or previous life. It means they've walked the walk already. They've already walked the path so they can guide you along the path. And I mentioned that because there's a lot of people out there who are on social media and selling programs and stuff like that. And they'll be like, I know the secret to weight loss and body transformation and all this sort of thing. Yeah, but you're, you haven't done it. You haven't dealt with food issues before. You haven't built your body up. You haven't gotten out of debt. So if you haven't dealt with these things directly yourself, you don't have all that much credibility in helping other people do it either. Now, the exception to that, of course, can be coaches who have a history of it already. Like you can take, you, if you got a, a coach who's 200 pounds overweight and fat as hell, 
But man, they have been helping people successfully lose weight for 30 years and they've got the track record to show it. Yeah, still use that because now they have the previous experience, the life experience of helping people do exactly that very thing. But generally, that's the exception rather than the rule. Typically, people who can help uh, others achieve something have done it themselves. But the bottom line is you probably are not going to do this on your own and figure it out for yourself. And even if you do, it's probably going to take a hell of a lot more time and work and effort to do on your own because the amount of work it takes to learn on your own is ridiculous. But you pick up a book, <clears throat> you know, from someone like every one of these books that I've written is years of experience and trial and error into it. So you can read you know, my latest book, Be Fit, Live Free. This book took me 15 years to learn this information. And you can get the same information in two hours reading that. It's a quick read. You know, learn from other people. It doesn't have to be a direct coach, but learn from those who have what you want or have done what you want. And it's going to be a hell of a lot easier than just trying to figure it out for yourself. Number six on uh, things that are essential for your success. Actually, I think this is number five. Did I write 11 things down here? Maybe I have 11. Oh, well, uh, is a daily plan. Now, here's the whole, if you don't, you know, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail kind of thing. And I was talking about this with a client of mine this morning. And I said, you know, one of the things that can make such a difference on your ability to just move the needle every day is just simply planning out your habits. It's like, if you go to the gym, it's like, when am I going to the gym? Whenever, whoever, whatever, I don't know. But if you write in the calendar, this is the time and place I'm going to the gym, chances are much more likely it's going to happen. If you go to the grocery store with a list, you're not going to forget your chicken and then have less protein in your dinners for the next three nights. You're not going to forget your eggs and things like that. If you wake up in the morning and you're like, I don't know, I'll just do whatever, chances are it's going to take you all day to do the little things like go wash the car and go grocery shopping and things like that. But if you're like, okay, first I'm going to go to the grocery store and then I'm going to wash the car and then I'm going to do this, boom, 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 you get it done so much better. And I'm not saying you got to plan every day out to the minute, but just have a general framework of thinking, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is where I'm going to do it. And this is the time I'm going to do it. If you do that, just the simplest little things, it doesn't need to be a complicated plan, but just looking at your day and saying, ah, there's where I'm going to do this habit. That makes all the difference in the world. All the diverses, I'll get to it whenever I can get to it. Chances are you're not going to get to it. So having a daily plan makes such a big difference. Let me give you a, a real simple one. Every meal, focus on your three Ps, right? If you improve your meals, your diet will take care of itself. And I always tell people one of the most basic dietary approaches here at RDP is just focus on your three Ps at each meal. Every meal, you have a plant-based food, you have good protein, and you have a portion that's big enough to satisfy but not overfeed you. If you have those three things, your diet will be better than 99.9% .9 of everybody out there. And it's a simple plan you can keep in the back of your mind. And if you engage that plan every meal, your diet will pretty much largely be taken care of. So it doesn't need to be a complicated plan, but it does need to be a plan versus just winging it. One more here before we jump back into questions. Uh, things you need for transformation, personal transformation, is a progressive mindset or a growth mindset. You hear this. Now, this is very different from a, quote, work ethic, right, or hustle culture. I'm just going to work myself to death. I'm just going to work as hard as possible kind of thing. No, a progressive growth-oriented mindset is one where you're looking at what you're doing and you're simply asking yourself, how do I do this just a little bit better? Again, it goes along with self-awareness. It goes along with having adaptation, motivation, and all these other things I've been talking about so far. But having that mindset of just simply looking for, how do I do this a little bit better, makes all the difference. So many people are like, okay, in order to get bigger and faster and stronger and leaner and everything, I need to know what the right program is or what the best diet is or what you know the best workout split is. No, you don't. You, it's good to have these things as a plan, but you're not going to get success because you do things correctly. You get success by doing things better. And there's an amazing aspect of our human ingenuity and our mindset that will tell you the answers if you just look for them. My Taekwondo instructor used to do this to us all the time. He's like, all right, do 10 sidekicks. We'll do sidekicks. Like, and then he'd ask you, what can you do to make your sidekicks better? 
And then if someone's like, I don't know, I have no idea. It's like, do 10 psychics again. you know. And now they're thinking, what do I do to make them better? And inevitably, it always came about. It's like, I need to roll my hip over more. I need to have more stability in my standing hip. I need to keep my hands from flailing out. I need to breathe better. It's amazing what happens when you have a growth mindset and you ask that simple question of how can I do this thing better? The answers will come in a tidal wave. And chances are those are the best answers on what's actually going to help you succeed versus anything you're going to find out there on the internet or YouTube or anything like that. That's why we keep a workout log. The simple act of writing down, what did I do? Okay. What can I do better about it? Well, I can do this and that. You write it down because then when you're going to do your workout, you're like, remember, you're trying to keep your elbows in and your abs tight during pushups. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you've got something you can work on. Now you know what to do. You have a plan in your workout of I'm trying to keep my elbows in on my push-ups. Good. Versus I'm just going to do a million push-ups, cross my fingers, and hope for the best. And that's how, with without that plan, without that progressive mindset, people can literally work their tail off, do, quote, everything right, and work as hard as they can in their workouts, in their diet, and then wake up three years later and nothing has changed. Happens all the time. Don't be like that, my friend. You deserve a lot better for that. And it takes very little to just move the needle a little tiny bit. More questions here. Dave Rotman coming on. Good to see you. Hey, Matt. If you use isolation exercises to build a muscle, suspension, curls, extension, which I just did this morning, but by the way, do you need to continue those exercises to sustain them or are compounds alone adequate? Great question. Yeah, compounds alone should be adequate for it. A lot of times the isolation single joint stuff is good to kind of shore up the muscle to improve the mind muscle connection with the muscle, make sure those muscles are working adequately. But yeah, you shouldn't need to feel like I always need to do curls. Uh, Think of them as like a touch up or the cherry on top for that. They're not doing the bulk of the quote heavy lifting for that muscle. They're good as a supplemental thing. If you didn't take supplements, is your diet still going to be bad? No, of course not. Master Dave saying, hey, Matt, what's your opinion on using bands for assistance, calisthenics exercises like pull-ups, dips, et cetera? They're perfectly fine. Uh, I know a lot of people like to use them. I never use them myself, uh, partially because the calisthenics gym I work at, we just don't have bands. We'd much rather use progressive technique, largely because it's a hell of a lot easier to set up. It's a heck of a lot easier to adjust. When you're using progressive technique, it also highlights a lot of imbalances and misalignments that may be holding you back. Uh, They're fine, uh, but given the choice, I'll go with a a progressive uh, technique over band assistance any day of the week, just for those reasons. It's just a lot easier to use, in my opinion. Zaid saying, hey, Matt, if force feeding isn't a good way to go, how do you have someone increase weight if they don't have any appetite at all. So looking at the appetite, it's always kind of an interesting thing. I never, honestly, I never understood someone with a lack of appetite. You know, people who come to me and they're like, oh, you know, it's like training them at like seven at night. And they're like, oh, I forgot to eat all day today. I'm like, how do you do that, man? Like I'm starving if I don't eat breakfast by 10 a.m. We want to stimulate our appetite, be active be demanding of the calories that we're consuming. And we want to work hard in the gym. I had a book years ago when it came to uh, uh, cycle or biking for um, commuting. And there was a section on it on diet and stuff. And they were like, don't worry about it. Like when you're riding your bike to work every day, your appetite's going to increase and it's going to demand more food. If someone just doesn't have appetite for it, it doesn't want to eat. Look at, you know, do they have an emotional thing with food? Honestly, to be perfectly frank with you, I think a lot of people who are like, I just never am hungry. I never want food. I think they're lying. I don't think they're being honest with you. Hunger is one of the most primal sensations we experience as human beings. And we can get out of touch with it a lot due to dietary things that tell you to ignore hunger and things like that. But I really honestly believe a lot of people are like, oh, I'm not hungry. I'm just never hungry. And then you see them an hour later and they're scarfing down a Big Mac at McDonald's and they're like, oh God. You know, I I think they're largely just out of touch with their hunger maybe. You know, they'll go all day and then they'll just polish off a whole pizza or something. 
maybe not again the, the self-awareness know thyself they're just not experiencing it and knowing to handle it a little bit but yeah stimulate that appetite make them need the food <laughs> in other words make them really increase their physical activity uh, and try and stimulate that need for that sort of thing but they could also just be eating really good satiating foods as well so they're like, yeah, I had a big breakfast and I don't feel like eating again until 3 p.m. Great, yeah. You know, eat 1,500 calories, 2,000 calories for breakfast. Go for it. Master Dave, any uh, tips for maintaining fitness when moving away? Away from what? <laughs> yeah, this is one of those disruptions in life that you're inevitably going to come about, which is why I talked about adaptation earlier. Things that are just going to get in the way. You're going to have disruptions in your schedule. You're not going to have access to your equipment because it's packed away. Your, your diet's going to be all over the place because you're ordering takeout because you haven't got your kitchen set up and everything. Just roll with the punches, man. Just roll with the punches. Do what you can with what you've got. If you can blast out some push-ups and some pull-ups and stuff, you can get out your trusty pull-up bar first thing and put it in your doorway and stuff, great. But make peace with the fact that it's going to be off the rails for a bit. Your diet's not going to be what you're used to and your workouts aren't going to be what you're used to and stuff. Just do what you can with what you've got in your situation. Also keeping in mind that moving is stressful for mind, body, and lifestyle. So you're going to have a lot going on there. So it's probably good that you don't have you know workouts killing you every single time because you've already got a lot of stress and a lot of energy pouring out through other ways. So do what you can with what you have. Be flexible and do what you can. And if it's like three days uh, since you worked out, yeah, fine. If uh, you know, you're ordering nothing but Chinese takeout for a week and a half, okay, great, whatever. You know, In the grand scheme of things, it's a blip in the radar. It's going to be a small influence. Just make sure that you unpack your equipment and you get back on track pretty much as quick as you can. Don't keep your home fitness equipment in a box for the next eight months and your diet's all crappy and stuff for the next six months and stuff. And you're like, oh, it's hard getting back to it. Get back to it as quickly as you can. Jay Kelly Nears. JJ, how's it going, my friend? Hey, Matt, do you have any advice on how to focus for longer periods of time? <laughs> you're talking with, to someone with ADHD. <laughs> um, I'm studying to become a lawyer and can't maintain concentration for more than an hour at a time. Thanks. Very good. Yeah, concentration. Remember, this is a, an endurance thing. Mental energy is just like physical energy. You can only do it for so long. And you might have a lot of physical energy and can blast out push-ups like crazy. But eventually, the fatigue mounts up to the point where you're only able to get two or three push-ups at a time. Same thing happens with focus and mental energy. You can focus for two solid hours and get two solid hours of studying in, but now you're exhausted and you're tired and you're only gonna be able to focus for like 10 minutes at a time. And then you're gonna have distractions. People are like, oh, people get distracted too easily. It's like, yeah, because they're tired. They're exhausted. Their mental energy is, <coughs> excuse me, is spread too thin. So they're tired. So the, uh, the answer to this is make sure you're taking your frequent breaks. I know there's a lot of study strategies and stuff out there that'll say like study for 20 minutes or 40 minutes, then take a 10 minute break, you know, rejuvenate, recover a little bit, go play a quick little video game on your phone or go for a walk, have a conversation with a friend, let your mind totally decompress a little bit, then get back to it. I personally, when I was in college, learned this a little too late until senior year, recognized that if I study my tail off, in the evening and I, my mind would just be mushed. Then I'd go and if I got a good night's sleep, I'd wake up and suddenly miraculously I had everything learned. <laughs> it's like, what the heck happened? It's like, yeah, because you rested, you recovered. It's the same thing, train and recover, allow adaptation to happen. When we're studying, we're consuming information, but we learn when we adapt to the information. We digest it. I'm always telling people, don't outright reject my ideas or something. Just take the information in and just let it sit in your head for a few days. And your brain will just digest it and utilize whether or not it's really right for them or not. Same thing with you. Study for maybe a shorter period of time, half an hour, let's say, set a timer. And at that point, give yourself a break. 10-minute break, boom, you're back at it. I think that's going to be a better way for you to go about it. I don't think trying to make yourself focus for four straight hours studying 
is any more realistic than saying, I want you to run at a dead sprint for four straight hours. You're just going to get tired. And at which point you can't ask much of yourself when you're that fatigued. So last few things here, we've got uh, 10 things for a uh, total body of uh, transformation, multi-influential holistic approach. Number one, number two is motivation. Number three is adaptation and the uh, flexible approach. So you can adapt to your circumstances. Number four, self-awareness and the ability to learn from yourself about what your habits are and your behaviors. Number five, get help from others. Don't try to do it all on your own. Uh, number six, a daily plan, just planning what you're going to do. So that way you don't leave it completely up to chance. So you go through your whole day and you never get anything done. And then those days add up, my friend. And then finally, seven, a progressive mindset. What can you do the things better? Don't just rely on hard work. So last three here is uh, number uh, eight, experimentation. Remember that ultimately no one knows for sure exactly what's best for them. Right. What's what's the best exercise? What's the best dietary approach? Lots of times when I get people asking me questions, like I love asking, answering questions for me, folks, people are like, should I do X or should I do Y? Should I do this or should I do that? Nine times out of 10, the answer is like, give it a try and see what happens. <laughs> Your own experience is going to tell you far more than anything you're going to come across on the internet because that's real. That's honest. That's telling you exactly how you're going to react to it. So we want to have a lot of experimentation when we're learning about things. I don't know if doing 100 kettlebell swings a day is a good idea or not. Give it a shot. If it really matters, you should get some pretty strong feedback very quickly in one way or the other. You're like, oh, like years ago, you know, when intermittent fasting started becoming a thing, I was like, oh, I'm going to give that a try. You know, I did it like once for 24 hours. I'm like, this is like the worst thing in the world for it. Like, I feel terrible. My brain is foggy. I can't concentrate. I'm so exhausted. I keep wanting to take a nap. I and then I did it one other time. I'm like, yeah, this is bad. <laughs> I'm having a bad experience. That gives me information on what's best for me. I don't give a damn about the science behind it. I don't care if someone else out there found it was like life-changing and the best thing for them. I know what's best for me now, which is not that. Same thing with isometrics. Lots of people have ideas and information on isometrics. Most people haven't done any of them. <laughs> I did it once, one isometric workout for my back, and instantly was like, holy smokes, this is entirely on another level for me. And I've been doing it to some degree ever since. So you're looking for feedback that's going to give you some pretty strong indicators. And if it doesn't give you a strong indicator one way or the other, that yeah, probably means it's not really going to be that much of an influence and just do it if you feel like it. And if not, you're probably not missing out. But don't be afraid to experiment. You don't need to have 100% absolute certainty on what you should and shouldn't do. You're probably going to get a lot more certainty through that experimentation. And the last two things are kind of complementary, but also kind of contradictory, I guess you could say, is patience. Patience for your changes and transformation. People ask me all the time, how long is it going to take for me to achieve this goal? The fact is there's no reliable timeline for achieving anything in fitness. How long is it going to take me to lose 30 pounds? I don't know. I know some people have done it in six months. I know some people have been trying to lose that 30 pounds for the past six years. There's no uh, game plan that's going to be like, oh, you should be able to do this by now and stuff like that. So have patience if it's not coming fast enough then know that, okay, it's just going to take longer. It's just simply, well, this guy was able to achieve this goal in six weeks, okay? It might take you two years, but keep moving forward. Slow progress is still progress. It might take you longer, and that's just the way life is sometimes. Some people can achieve things a heck of a lot faster than you will, but you're also going to achieve things a heck of a lot faster than they will too. So it's going to be at your own speed limit, your own timeline. If it's not happening as quickly, make sure though that it is still happening to some degree. Even that plateau I talked about earlier, that's still improving the progress to some degree. So be patient with the process. Just because it's not happening quickly enough doesn't mean it's not working. And then the last point to complement that is a sense of urgency though is a sense of, I want this to happen. Because when we have a sense of urgency, we're less prone to just kind of sit back, twiddle our thumbs and say, well, 
I guess the results will just come sooner or later. And you're not actually putting forth enough to actually get it there. Because like I said, it's certainly possible to work your tail off for the next six years and have nothing to show for it. Happens all the time. It's certainly possible to put in a lot of time and energy and effort and quote, do everything right <coughs> over the next several months and not make any progress at all. So a sense of urgency kind of keeps our feet to the flame just a little bit to say, okay, but I should be making some progress here. I want to make sure I'm seeing something happen. And it could be something small like, oh, my shoulders are more stable in these pull-ups or my push-ups feel stronger or my legs feel stronger when I'm going out on this run. We want to have something happening, the needle moving to some degree. Don't just sit back and just assume that hard work and the passage of time will pay off because there's never any guarantee of that. It very frequently does not. Let me get to the last couple of questions here. Philip is saying, <clears throat> Uh, hey, Matt, can you recommend any workout routines during one month of travel? I just have the floor and a bull worker, ISO bow. Your minimalistic workout routine, thank you very much. Keep going. Yeah, so when you're traveling especially, I usually recommend something like the micro-workouts and an adaptive approach. Again, I know the book is still coming out on that one because travel means that your circumstances are always way up in the air and changing around. Your diet, your sleep, your time, your energy, your motivation, all of this is going to be constantly changing and moving around on you. So when people are traveling, I usually actually discourage a strict workout routine and more of a holistic approach of like, do what you can with what you've got. If you've got time and energy to kill a full body workout, great. If a couple of days later and you're like, all I've got time and the resources for is push-ups on the floor and I'm going to get some isometric rows with the iso bow. Okay, great. Do that too. Do what you can with what you have. You're probably going to do a hell of a lot more that way and a lot more effective than if you tried to stick to a routine that you probably wouldn't be able to do when you're traveling. I should write a, a micro book about that one for sure because I work with a lot of clients who have travel as a regular part of their, their job. People who are like gone one week out of every month or some people I train and they're here for several months and then they're gone for several months. Like, what do I do there? That's a good micro read. I should make a note of that here, right? Real quick. Read on travel fitness. Just because there's a lot to, to bake into that. Sean saying, hey Matt, I like doing dips on rings, but it's hard and slow to build up good reps. It's worth building it up for hypertrophy. Better switch to bars with more stable can load it. No, improve your own stability, my friend. Remember, the back, the back dips are hugely supposed to be a back exercise. If your back is more stable, uh, then you should be able to crank out dips on the rings. Just crank them out like crazy. Uh, so look to your back. Make sure your lats are engaged, shoulders are packed, and you're squeezing everything in towards your spine. Very rare for someone to actually have really strong ring dips, but you can do it. JVR is saying, hey, I've been doing pull-ups and push-ups with the ladder method lately. Yep. And I've noticed that I can get more work in and control my technique better. So then with sets and reps method, fantastic. Thanks for the recommendation. So it's like, you know, do one rep, do two reps, do three reps of each one. And then when you get to like 10, then you do nine of each and then eight of each and so forth. Remember what I said about a plan, folks, that sort of thing gives you some structure for that sort of thing. Fantastic. Last one here, Camille is saying, hey, Matt, the tendency of doing too much in terms of workouts. I've got a plan for my coach, but I'm adding on exercise or two because I used to do more a few years ago. Uh, whom should I follow? Go with the coach. See, here's the thing that people miss about coaches, folks, is, and this is what frustrates me as a coach, is people don't talk to me. <laughs> people aren't sharing their concerns. You know, the whole job of your coach is to make things work for you. And if you're having concerns of, I don't think I'm doing enough, or I don't think this exercise is right for me, or I don't think this is working, whatever the case may be, you're supposed to tell your coach that. <laughs> you're supposed to be getting feedback because my whole job as a coach is to take a program and say, this is what we're going to do. And I tell my clients this all the time. I say, talk to me. Give me as much feedback as possible because everything about our plan is based on your feedback to me. 
Everything you tell me is what I'm basing. I'm not, I'm not looking at some giant exercise science textbook and saying, well, according to the book, uh, you should be doing these many sets and reps. No, I'm listening to you. If you come to me and you're like, I just feel like we're not doing enough work, I'm going to change the plan according to your feedback. Or I'm going to answer you, ask you better questions like, well, how's your recovery lately? Well, I don't know. You know, come Friday, your workouts are kind of struggling. I feel like you may be already doing too much work and so forth. Or is it one or two areas? You know, a lot of times guys are like, oh, I don't feel like it's getting my biceps enough. Okay, great. Then we'll add with some curls at the very end, just a couple of things. But if it's not enough, sometimes that might mean we're not working with enough intensity. It's like, oh, you need more work? Well, how come the work we're doing isn't satisfying you right now? Maybe we need to push harder. Oh, you've got five dips that you're doing? Well, maybe you should do seven. A lot of times that happens on my end where I'm undertraining people just because I have underestimated their rate of progress. So every once in a while, you know, and I'm looking at the workout log and it's like, okay, you got eight dips and then you got uh, seven dips and six dips. I'm like, you know, for grins, let's see how many dips you can do. And then be like, crank out 20. I'm like, yeah, we're way under, <laughs> we way under program this for you. When we started, you were struggling to get five dips. So I'm assuming that eight was adequate, but you just did 20. Get up on those rings. You know, we're just going to progress you a lot faster. So it could very well be that the coach is under training you a little bit, but you should be talking to your coach about these things. And if they're dismissive about it, like, ah, you don't know what you're talking about, just stick to the plan kind of thing. It's usually a sign of a pretty inadequate coach. It's usually coaching is a relationship. It's like any other relationship. You say something, they, they give you feedback back and forth. It's communication back and forth. And a relationship can't work very well unless there's trust and communication. So trust your coach, communicate with them. But if they don't trust you and are not communicating with you, it's time to find a better coach. All right, my friends, I have got to run. But thank you again, everybody, for watching slash listening. Again, the audio will be replayed on the uh, podcast directory of your choice in the next couple of days. Thank you so much, everybody. Check out new segment coming out on the Red Delta Project YouTube channel as well. I got the move of the week, new exercise, fundamental exercise that I'm covering in more detail for building muscle and strength coming out every single Monday. So make sure you're subscribed to the channel and you can get those on a weekly basis as well. Check out the resources down below at the RDP merch store. And I will talk to you folks next week. Till then, be fit and live free.